Welcome to Nurture Small Business, creating a thriving space with your host, Denise Kagan. Denise is the president of DCA Virtual Business Support and has been a business owner for almost 20 years. DCA Virtual Business Support provides small businesses with an expert pairing of virtual administrative and marketing assistance to match your needs. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. Phil Elmore is a novelist, journalist, editor, content creator, voice actor, and videographer based in New York. As the owner of Samurai Press, Phil has been a full-time technical and freelance writer for 25 years. Among his many publications are 23 action novels in the Executioner, Stony Man, and Super Bowling series for Harlequin's Gold Eagle imprint. He's the co-writer of the young adult novel Ninja Girl Adventure. He also wrote the Duke Manifest parody action series, the self-help bestseller, 10 Things Doctors Won't Tell You About Your CPAP Machine, and the Iyer Press horror novel, Monsters. His latest ventures, the self-publishing report and the ghostwriting report, are intended to help individuals and businesses understand the potential for books to promote their businesses. And that is what we are here to talk about today. Welcome to the show, Phil. Thank you. I am so excited to have you here. A lot of people I talk to, small business owners, they want to write a book, um, but they don't know how to get started. Let's start out with how did you get into this field? Well, it was one of those, uh, I kind of fell into writing. My father owned a technical writing company when I was growing up, and I was determined not to work for the family business. So, of Uh course, I did. I I went to school and got an accounting degree, which taught me about three years into it that I didn't want an accounting degree. Uh And then my father trained me to be a technical writer, and I did that for for many years. And growing up, I had always been uh, reading as a hobby his collection of action novels, which was extensive. Little did I know that this man was training me for the other aspect of my career, because eventually through networking with other authors, I submitted a proposal to the editor over at Gold Eagle, which was then an imprint of Harlequin, the romance novel company. And they allowed me to submit a sample and then write a book. They did a contract for a single book, and then that turned into many more books when it turned out that I could do it. And I ended up writing 23 action novels. And along the way, as hanging out my shingle to do freelance writing, because I was already doing writing and editing professionally, I ended up networking and building a client base. And before you know it, you turn around and that's all you do. You spend your life at a series of desks writing different things for different people. Some of it's fiction, some of it's nonfiction. So I never set out directly to become a writer. I kind of fell into it, determined that I was good at it, got better at it through practice. And then now I teach people writing both fiction and nonfiction. And it's always a little bizarre to me that that it almost happened by accident. Not completely, but it was almost an accident. You know, I think a lot of people's careers kind of happen that way. My daughter is a art history major. She works at a bank. Go figure. <laughs> so, you know, I think sometimes careers do do happen that way. Now, when we spoke previously, you had told me about a time where you were homeless for a day. Can you tell me about how this was a catalyst for you? Well, I had been working conventional technical writing jobs for a number of years. And like most people, I had a job. And, uh, I, you know, I'd done a little bit of freelance work on the side for a little extra money. And I'd already kind of set up my website and hung out my shingle as a writer. I was doing some novel writing at that point already. But I just had one job. And 
in the course of a year, I got to face all of my worst fears. I discovered that I was completely ruined financially when my boss and his boss walked me into a room and said, that great job we told you you've been doing, don't do it anymore. We're laying you off. I ended up having to declare bankruptcy and things in my personal life fell apart. It's a very long story and I'll condense it down to about the time you're sleeping in your car in the parking lot of the bankruptcy attorney's office because you have to meet with them in the morning and you have nowhere else to stay that night. That's a galvanizing moment. I remember lying there with the seat reclined thinking, what are you going to do about this? And I determined that I would never allow this to happen to me again. And the way to fix that was to have multiple income streams. So I started focusing on building income streams through as many different avenues of my writing as I possibly could. I ramped up the novel writing. I started doing ghostwriting for people. Uh, technically, the novel writing I was doing at the time was ghostwriting because I was writing in a property that you know was for the original author has since passed away. But you know, it's Don Pendleton's Buchner, and I wrote. Uh, 23 of those novels, along with a staff of other writers who turned out hundreds of those books. I ghost wrote novels for other people and learned that dealing with clients was a huge part of it, it not just the work. I had always very ideally, I thought, well, if you do good work, everything will work out. But no, client management is a huge part of that. And I learned how to be diplomatic with people too, because people can be very sensitive about their writing. When I was very young and very new to it, I didn't understand how to interact with people and give them helpful suggestions for their writing in ways that didn't hurt their feelings. So I had, I had one client who, I'll just say it, he was an extraordinarily bad writer. He was well-meaning, I thought. And so when I gave him suggestions for how he might improve, he became very, very angry and attempted to extort me and sent a, a letter on legal letterhead demanding all his money back. And my lawyer called his lawyer and said, I think the extortion here is, is relevant. And they said, oh, and we never heard from him again. But I, I learned a valuable lesson about that, which is client management is equally a part of how you deal with people when it comes to writing. And I've since, you know, when you get into teaching and you learn how to coach people, that too becomes an extremely valuable skill. Years ago, I had a martial arts teacher who was also a music teacher, and he explained that when you teach someone, you don't tell them everything that's wrong all the time right up front. You, you highlight a few key things that are wrong. You allow them time to improve, and then you work down to the smaller things. And that's been one of the most valuable lessons when it comes to coaching people. I have one client who is a teenage girl who is a better writer than many beginners I've encountered, and she's improving week over week and is doing absolutely incredibly. And it's so gratifying to see somebody not just improve, but to see that their delight in the writing, which is what so many people enjoy. And to your point, yes, many people want to write a book. Some people don't know why they want to write a book. Some people want to write a book for the wrong reason, and they haven't yet learned what will help them most in terms of business. And other people just want to write a book so that they can say they're an author. There's plenty of those people too. So the coaching businesses that I started cater to all those aspects of people's needs, but particularly helping small businesses to understand why a book would help them to get more clients to make more money. So you, in your bio, you had indicated that you work with business owners that write both fiction and nonfiction and how they can use those to promote their business. So can you give me an example in particular of a nonfiction? I'm sorry, I want to back that up. In particular, a fiction <laughs> genre. Be amazed. I 
the first time I actually encountered the concept of a fiction book that is attempting to do a nonfiction business purpose was actually while I was getting that accounting degree that I didn't want. They had us read a novel called Accosting the Golden Spire by Iris Weil Collette, uh, which is, I kid you not, an attempt to create an adventure novel that imparts basic accounting principles. Interesting. It's not a good book. (laughs) An accounting student will not enjoy this book. But then, you know, when I was, uh, you know, 19, 20 years old, to be acquainted with that concept was a big deal. I have a survival client. He works in the survival and self-defense niches. He sells one of his biggest products is is a bug out bag that he sells to people who want to put a survival kit in a bag that they can grab and go if there's a natural disaster or some other problem. Well, we wrote a series of novels that are fiction about a character who is learning survival and preparing to help his family. And that character Ah. is a series of emergencies. And while he's doing those things, you are teaching the reader what works and what doesn't work. You're imparting them lessons, hopefully with a subtle touch so that you're not beating them over the head with, you know, the Federal Accounting Standards Board principles the way Costing the Golden Spire does. I'm probably one of very few people who even knows that book exists, but I think of it often in terms of how you write fiction to accomplish nonfiction purposes. Anytime someone has a business in any topic area, if they then choose to write a nonfiction book, that is a way of establishing trust and rapport with your audience. You, for example, a private detective who writes a series of private detective novels. That sounds a little recursive. I don't know if I was a private detective, but I'd want to also write novels about it. But you could do something like that. You can fictionalize true stories. And that actually mm-hmm. helps protect you from a legal standpoint as well. And yes. sometimes you just want to write something that your audience would enjoy. You know, if, for example, you're, I don't know, you own a a store that sells archery equipment and on the side you're writing zombie novels about a fellow with his trusty crossbow making his way across the zombie landscape. You know, these are ways of engaging your audience in a non-traditional manner because you're entertaining them. And anytime you extend to your audience this act of goodwill, this, look, I'm not just trying to sell you things. I would like you to enjoy yourself. I would like you to be entertained and spend time, the two of us together in a sort of a disconnected, you know, non-corporeal way. When you read my book, you're spending time with me, even though I'm not in the room with you. And that can be a very powerful thing for building your audience and building trust with your audience. When it comes to nonfiction books, that effect is even more powerful if you manage to make the book entertaining. For example, you know, a fellow who has a repo business can write a book of true stories of, you know, the most adventurous repossessions. (laughs) I follow accounts on social media that are devoted to you know, video of guys repossessing cars and the people coming out chasing them and some of the creative ways that the owners of the cars try to stop the repo men from from taking the cars. These things can be really entertaining. Yeah, I think if you equate that to the reality TV, like Storage Wars, I mean, it's it's the same concept. And imagine the board meeting that someone had to have where someone walked in and said, picture this, it's a television show where people auction old storage units. You know, you would have to make a very compelling pitch to make that sound exciting. And yet people love those shows. They so do. These, are the, these are the book equivalents of engaging your audience in that way, telling them stories, establishing that you are an expert. I, I have a client who's writing a book on gala event planning. 
the stories he tells about the things he experienced and some of the famous people that he met along the way, those can be extremely entertaining. I have a, a realtor client who wrote a book about his house flipping system. Nobody who reads these books is going to go out and start their own gala event planning business or start their own real estate flipping business necessarily. What they're going to do is read that book and go, clearly, this person knows what they're talking about. This person is someone in whom I can place my trust. So you've created a sense of rapport with your audience that makes them more inclined. It's that old sales adage. People don't buy your product. They buy you. They buy you being authentic about what you do. I have a construction client who likes to tell the stories of the terrible renovations he's encountered and had to fix, you know, that other companies did and did badly. But what does that do? It shows the reader, not only does this man recognize the bad work, but he won't inflict that on me. And especially when it comes to construction, everyone's afraid of getting a bad contractor. Yeah, um, definitely. You never hear anyone say anything good about contractors unless they happen <laughs> to have one that they trust. So these are powerful marketing tools. The fact that it's print or can be print. Obviously, you could do an ebook and it's cheaper to do an ebook, but print marketing holds a particular power even today. 72% of adults in the United States read a book in some kind of format last year. 65% of those people claim they read a book in the last 12 months overall. And 37% of Americans claim that they only read print books. Now, okay, that's not the majority because ebooks are becoming more and more popular, but it's a third, a third of adults in the United States are saying they only read print books. If you extend that to research that's been done on print marketing, 70% of households with an income over $100,000 are people who say they read newspapers, physical newspapers, not electronic news. Those people with that income are an audience that most businesses are trying to reach. A surprisingly high percentage of people under 25 claim that they still read magazines sometimes. But more significantly, Print readers spend about 20 minutes with a publication in their hand at any given session. Somebody reading a tablet or an e-reader spends much less time statistically. Uh, and if you're just scrolling Facebook and we're talking about print versus electronic ads, an electronic ad sometimes isn't even seen by the reader. <laughs> are more likely to catch the reader's eye and they require 21% less cognitive effort to process compared to electronic reading. A lot of people say, I don't like e-readers because I find them harder to read than a printed page. And there are some Kindle readers that are designed to simulate the printed page experience for that very reason. So print has power. And if you have a physical book that you can use as a calling card for your business, whether it's a fiction book intended to engage and entertain or a nonfiction book that sort of embodies your skill and expertise in the area, like the, the house flipping book or a book on, you know, home renovation disasters by a construction company. If you can leave that print book behind, your client is much more likely to pick it up, thumb through it and read it. But on a sort of innate level, they put more trust in it. The fact that you have a physical thing that was created, right or wrong, creates the perception that effort and expertise went into that thing. So even when you publish a book, which is very easy to do, you know, I haven't done anything but take the time and effort to put some words on a page. But it instantly creates the perception of more authority and more expertise. And I and think that's that that's what a lot of business owners are looking for. Yes, absolutely. I would agree. So it's a couple of things that you said just kind of jump out. I had a podcast guest. And he happened to be an Australian. I don't do a lot of out of the U.S. interviews. He sent me this wonderful package with three books he had authored. 
And one was not related to business at all. It was lessons he had learned from, and it was had his little boy's name, but it was lessons he learned from his little, uh, his young boy who was autistic. And it was just, it was absolutely fabulous. And yes, I will remember that for a very long time. So you're right. It does have that impact. And then you know, the business, the books being an automatic authority and calling cards. So let's jump into, you've got two calling cards that you've recently put out. Is that correct? Well, I'm constantly putting out books, but uh, <laughs> most recently I co-authored a young adult novel and my best-selling book, Because Life is Not Without a Sense of Irony, is a book about CPAP machines. So, you know, when I started out years ago, I wrote a couple of nonfiction books in the martial arts market for a company called Paladin Press that is now defunct. And at the time I thought, yes, I was young. I was in my 20s. I'm, I'm going to become famous doing self-defense books and I'm going to be the dashing self-defense figure. And my best-selling book is about how not to die in your sleep because your airway doesn't work right. So yeah. that, is, that is irony. So the self-publishing report and the ghostwriting report, are those not full books? Oh, no, they're self-publishing report and ghostwriting report are not books, they're services. Ah. Those services are a platform through which I'll be offering training and coaching. So if you like uh, the Facebook group is facebook.com slash group slash self-publishing report. And I'll be releasing there a full week writer's fast class in a video format that tackles some of the some of the big obstacles when it comes to writing books, because as you say, so many people, you know, so many business owners, you know, want to write a book. None of them are doing it because of the perception that it's impossible, that it's too hard. I like to say that nobody ever writes a book. They write a chapter and then they repeat the process. Writing a book is too big. It's there's too much, even a short nonfiction book to give you an idea in terms of word count, the types of thin novels that you used to be able to pick up at the grocery store counter. That's about 50, 60,000 words. You know, when J.K. Rowling turns out a, a book, that's more like 100,000 words. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, big. Or Martin might go up above 100,000 words. A nonfiction book, the type of small trade paperback, you know, they're a little bigger. I forget the actual dimensions, but those books are anywhere from 10,000 to 30,000 words at most. They're not that long. And even something of that length, many people find very difficult. They don't know how to start. They don't know how to get through it. They don't know how to get from here to there and they don't have a plan for doing it. And these things are all actually very easy to do if you just have someone who can guide you. And that's what the self-publishing report and the ghostwriting report are meant to do. And that's what we'll be tackling in the FAST class, you know, four weeks of video sessions where I explain some aspect of these difficult hurdles, all of which I had to face, all of which I had to get through. I never had any real formal training when I started originally. I've since had the benefit of a great deal of mentorship with one of the IP companies that I've worked with. But when I first started writing action novels, that was all on me. That was based on having spent years reading the books and trying to emulate that style, but also what I'd managed to pick up about writing along the way. And I look at, no author should be able to look at their early work and not cringe because you ought to be getting better all the time. <laughs> My 15-year-old client I mentioned was telling me how much she hated some of the first things she'd written for this book that she's trying to do. And I said, that's fantastic. And she looked at me like I was insane. I said, the fact that you can look at your early work and recognize that it's bad means that you've gotten better enough, not just to be better, but to see it. And that's huge. So yeah. everyone should always be getting better all the time to the point where their early work makes them unhappy. And I like to say, you only get one first novel and they're all terrible. 
that's a fact. You just, you have to get it out. (laughs) Do you address how to bring your book to market or do you just address the technical writing aspects? Well, we're going to be offering some extension services that tackle those types of things. That's something that we're working on building right now. You know, things because right now the barriers to publishing are actually very slight. It's literally just following some instructions if you choose to publish through Amazon. It used to be CreateSpace, and I believe they've changed the the naming conventions, and now you're just direct publishing through Amazon. But it's the same thing, really. So to publish an ebook is the simplest thing in the world. You upload a Word file and you upload a cover that matches their dimension requirements. And boom, you've got an ebook that's available in the Kindle store. You know, printed books are a little harder. And then having the advertising support and creating an actual funnel that takes your idea to an actual product that makes money, that can be more complex. And we're working on building out those services as well. Mm -hmm. My business partner is the sales genius in the partnership and knows how to do these things. And I'm the I'm the article troll who sits in a tree trunk and puts out a steady stream of writing, but it, it all works out. Yeah, I know I get a lot of guests who've authored books and they they are mentioned a lot in the podcast. So I know that podcasting is of course one way to to get your word out, but there's, you know, all sorts of other ways, events, book signings, you know, social media, which can be effective and can may not be. <laughs> I mean, when I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see self-published authors advertising their work, it takes an awful lot of restraint not to chime in because some of them are great and some of them have graphics that really turn my head and make me go, ooh, I, wanna, I don't want to know what this is about. And then I read the copy. And if the author who wrote the book can't put together a copy that's competently written, chances are good that the book is also written not competently. And that makes me sad because it doesn't have to happen. With a good editor, any book can be made to be competent and to be entertained. So when I see that, and I see it a lot, it's, I'm like, okay, here's a guy who's a one-man operation who just wanted to advertise his book and get some people to buy it. And I applaud that, but someone needed to help him along the way. Um, because the barriers to entry are so slight, there's a lot of books on the market that have made self-publishing kind of a an iffy venture from the reader's perspective, because you never know what you're getting. Am I getting a book that has at least been edited for typos and has been written by a human being? Or am I getting a pile of words yeah, no, I, I get it. And we've worked with a few folks that ha- have published their own books. Well, one that's self-published and one that actually went through a publisher. We we wound up building her website for her. And, you know, based on the two comparisons, the one who worked with the publisher did much better, you know, just because, you, like you said, they got some help. They had help with, you know, the structure. They had help with the editing. They had help with creating graphics, you know, for the cover to match what was inside. So, yeah, you could tell the difference. You could tell the difference. So, Phil, once people are finished with the podcast, I want them to be able to find you. So where can they find you? Well, the best place right now is that Facebook group. It's facebook.com slash groups slash self-publishing report. Uh, and then after that would be my website, philelmore.com, where I always announce anything new that we have going on. But th- those are the two best ways. I, I want people to be able to achieve their dreams. I want anybody who wants to write a book or who has ever thought about writing a book to be able to do that. And it's, it's like watching a drowning man and knowing you have the power to save it. You know, it's relative. Nobody. Let me start again. Not everyone has the ability to write like it's easy. For some people, it's very difficult. But for people like me, whose brains are wired that way, 
it is relatively easier. And therefore, if I can help other people and give them the tools to accomplish what they want to accomplish, then it feels wrong not to do that. I, I had a coworker once a few years ago who had struggled for three days on an obituary for a family member. He finally came to me and I said, please never do this to yourself again. Five minutes later, we were done and he had what he needed. And, you know, when it comes to the larger realm of services that I can offer and, and that the self-publishing report and the ghostwriting report can do for businesses and for individuals, anyone who wants to write a book but has been feeling like, I don't know how to get there or I don't know how this is going to benefit my business, all of that can be given to you and, and you can get the help that you need. And it's not even difficult. And I would hate for anyone to not achieve what they'd like to do in life or in business for lack of the help that is readily available. So just getting the word out is extremely valuable. Absolutely. And I will put in our show notes, your Facebook group, as well as your website, so folks can find you. Phil, I want to thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for today's Nurture Small Business, creating a thriving space podcast. Learn more about your host at dcavirtual.com or by emailing her directly at denise at dcavirtual.com.